to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Let me start by saying this. I can't say everything. Six days ago, early this week, I had these grandiose, beautiful designs that I was going to tell you everything there was to possibly say about the sixth commandment and adultery and sex, because frankly, we don't talk about it all that often, just straight up in church. But we should. And I was going to give you this beautiful, big, overarching message. But as the week wore on, my dream became an illusion, because that's just impossible. There's no possible way to say everything. And in the end, that's okay. But hear me before we really get into it. Talk about this. Talk about this stuff as a church, with your friends, with your family, with your pastor. Don't shove it under the rug. Don't bury it deep inside you. I know it can be very difficult and awkward sometimes, but talk about it, discuss it, bring it up, your past, your present, because we need to talk about it. The Bible talks about it a lot. I can't say everything, but we're just going to look at a couple of Jesus's words that are very simple. Um, They're recorded in Matthew chapter five. Here we go. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, there was a pastor who said once, you know, church should be like AA or NA. It should be where everyone just walks in and says, hi, I'm Nathan and I'm a sinner. I'm an adulterer. I am powerless to resist temptation. I need a rescuer. And that pastor, he was exactly correct. That's how church should be. Because Jesus's goal in Matthew chapter five, it was simply to convict you and me. Nothing else, just to show us our sin, to expose our sin. It wasn't to show us the ways that we can keep the sixth commandment or how we can be more sexually pure. No, it was just to convict us, to show us that we have failed. And if we think we've kept the commandment, because maybe you've never committed actual physical adultery, Jesus says, nope, it's in your heart. It's in your mind as well. I know at my church, I've said this numerous times during this series on the commandments, and it's no different with the sixth commandment. The sixth commandment is not a ladder which we can climb and do a good job at and get closer to God or look better to him. No, the sixth commandment, just like all the other ones, it is an impenetrable wall. We walk up to it, we sin, we smack into it and we fall flat on our face. It exposes us. We don't look better to God because of the sixth commandment. It just exposes our sin, how you and I have wrecked a good gift from God. Because that's what sex is. It is a good gift from God. Hear me loud and clear. Sex is good. I'm going to say that a few more times. But, but seriously, there have been people in history and in church history and not like long ago history who have tried to say that um, 
sexual activity is only for the purpose of making children and bringing children into the world. Um, like God said, they'll say, be fruitful and increase in number. But sex can't be merely for having kids. In other words, people will say, well, it's not, it's not really for enjoyment. You gotta, be, you gotta be trying to have kids, but that doesn't work logically or biblically. Logically, what about people? And there's a lot of us. There's a lot of you who, who for whatever reason are unable to have children. Does, the, does God say, well, if you're not able to have children, married people don't, don't have sex? Or what about people who are advanced past the age of childbearing? Does God say, nope, no more sex for you? No, he does not. Actually, 1 Corinthians 7, you can look it up. It says the opposite. Um, and biblically, there's Song of Songs. Sometimes it's called Song of Solomon. Go and read it. And I dare you, try not to blush. There are no kids mentioned in Song of Songs. It's not talking about a husband and wife loving each other for the purpose of having children. It's just not. Go read it. No, sex is good. And not just for having children, for simple enjoyment as well. Now, all of our histories are different, but, but I'm guessing for some of you, all or most of what you heard growing up, and maybe still, um, however old you are now, maybe you've heard, sex, don't do it. Sex, be careful. Sex, watch out. Sex, dirty. Sex, like those types of things. And so do you think when you hear sex is good, or if you've grew up hearing that and, and then you get married and now all of a sudden the switch flips or you snap your fingers and all of a sudden you see sex as this beautiful, wonderful gift from God. No, no, sex is incredibly complicated even within marriage and it's not simply a joy for a lot of people and sometimes it's because you grew up or you were told all these things that were warnings about sex but you never heard Sex is a good gift from God. And so I'll say it again, sex is good. I heard a pastor say that what he wants his kids and all kids to know is this. He wants them to know that sex is something that mommy and daddy, they do it and they enjoy it and it's great. And he wants them to know that sex is something that happens between a man and a woman who have committed themselves to love and respect. And he wants kids and adults too, to when they hear that song on the radio that's full of sex, or you see the token sex scene in the movie, he says, I want it to feel off to them because they've learned something different and more beautiful and better. I'll say it one last time, sex is good. It's a good gift from God. And just like with every good gift from God, it can be misused. And sex, it is fiery. It is incredibly powerful, the Bible says. And so when it's misused, it can go incredibly bad. Now, I don't think I need to go into details. Like, you know in your heart what's wrong and what's right. Um, but here is the, the sin underneath the sin, we sometimes say. Here's the underlying issue. You think you need sex. You think that is what is going to give you satisfaction. You look to it as, as sort, of a, sort of a God. Um, you know what God says, but you think you're the exception. And, and 
you know, or, or it's not really going to hurt you. You can, you can do it and, yeah. Uh, Martin Luther said, the sin behind every sin is the lie that we cannot trust the love and grace of Jesus and that we must take things into our own hands. Another commentator, he put it this way. He said, every time we sin, we are cheating on God. Our failure to believe that God has given us everything we need and long for causes us to look for love in all the wrong places. Unbelief is the root that gives birth to all our unfaithfulness. Everything, here's the truth, he said, everything is already ours free of charge through Jesus' sacrifice and forgiveness. Our failure to believe that causes us to look under every rock and behind every tree for love. And in this case, the application is to look to sex for the thing that only God can give us, satisfaction and joy and fulfillment. And looking in all the wrong places is exactly what happened with David and a woman named Bathsheba. Um, David was king of Israel, had a ton of power, had a ton of access. And in 2 Samuel 11, he saw, he desired, and he acted. Here's what happened. It says, one evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. David, he, he had already sinned when he looked because, because he didn't just see, he looked and then he lusted and then he plotted and then he acted. He knew who she was. He knew she had a husband. He knew her husband was gone and then he just went and did it. And what was he thinking? Was he thinking it was okay? Was he thinking he could get away with it? I don't know. But he knew what God said about this and he did it anyway. And so the question that comes up is why, why would anyone act according to God's sexual ethic at all? Why would we, why would we, why would anyone live in the way God designed us to live sexually? And the only answer, finally, ultimately, is this. That you trust, you believe that God and what he says, that God is greater for you, that God is better for you than anything sex can give you, than giving into any temptation. That goes for the sixth commandment and every commandment. Now, in Genesis 39 here, we've got the opposite of King David with Joseph. Maybe you know the story of Joseph, maybe you don't, but the short story is that his brothers hated him and they sold him as a slave. And he went down from Israel down to Egypt. And he was the head servant in the, the household of a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife, she wanted Joseph badly. She wanted to get with him badly. She came on to him over and over and over again. And one time she grabbed his coat. And in Genesis 39, he said this, he said, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God. Now, he didn't say, how could I do such a wicked thing and dishonor my master, your husband, Potiphar? It wasn't, I have no desire for sex. I have no desire for you, Potiphar's wife, so, so I don't want to. 
He didn't say any of that. He said, no, this is a sin against God. And God is too big, too great for me to deliberately go against what God says. So I don't care how much I'm tempted by you. I don't care how pleasurable it would be. God says no, and God is greater than anything and everything, Potiphar's wife, you could ever possibly give me or that we could have together. So no, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now, every single one of you has sexual sin in your life. Whether that showed itself in an action or a thought, you've got it in your past, you've got it in your future, and you've got it maybe even today. And no matter what you've done or what you've felt or thought, whether it's your 250th time here or your first time here, I need you to know this. You are welcome here. You are welcome here. Jesus invites people like you, people like me, people like all of us who have all failed at keeping the sixth commandment. We are all welcome here no matter what you've done. And also, that sin, don't embrace it. Don't embrace it, not ever. Because just, just like every other sin, you can't embrace two things at once. You can't embrace Jesus and embrace the sin. You can only do one in Jesus, I promise you. Jesus is far better, far better than any sin, any desire, any temptation, any pleasure you will ever get. And if you miss everything else today, hear this right now. Sexual sins are forgivable. But not even, it's, it's not even just that they're, it's possible for them to be forgiven. It's that Jesus forgave sexual sin. He forgave your sexual sin. There's an old pastor who told the story once. Um, he actually told it to a younger pastor. And he said, there is this lady and she came to me, it was a bunch of years ago. And she said, Pastor, you know that, that a while back I had an abortion. And he said, yeah, yeah. And the woman said, well, Pastor, let, let me tell you about this guy that I just got married to. We met and then we started dating and I thought to myself, oh, he's, he's a good guy. Like this could be going places. I got to tell him about my abortion. And then we got engaged and I said, okay, I got to tell him about my abortion, but I didn't. And then we got married and it's wonderful and it's great. And I, and I think I got to tell my husband about my abortion that happened a long time ago, but I just can't do it. And so I got to talk to, I got to talk to someone and pastor, you're the one, I got to talk to someone. So here I am. And the pastor said, okay, great. Um, now, you know that we have a little, a little right, a little service for this type of thing. And she said, yeah. And so he said, I got out um, a little booklet and, and we did a little service of confession and she confessed her sin and I forgave her sins. I assured her that God had forgiven her sin of abortion and we prayed. And then she said, oh, pastor, thank you. I, you know, now I think I've got the courage. I've got the courage to go and tell my new husband about my abortion. And the pastor just said to her, what abortion? What abortion? 
God promises us in Jeremiah 31. He says, I will remember their sins no more. As far as the east is from the west, God says, so far have I removed your sins from me. He remembers them no more. In 1838, a hymn writer named Samuel Gandhi, he penned these words from a hymn. He said, well may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them well and thousands more. My God, he knoweth none. The sins that you and I can't forget, the sexual sins that you and I can't forget, God does not remember. He has forgiven them. He has washed them completely away through the blood of Jesus, his son. If you missed everything else today, hear this. God has forgiven. He has released you from the guilt of your sexual sins. Ephesians 5 gives this beautiful picture, not just of marriage between a man and a woman, but something far greater. Listen to this. It says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Get this, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, that's baptism, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's God's word. And my dear people, you, you are the bride. Jesus is the husband and you are the bride. You are wearing white. You are pure as pure can be. No stains, not even a wrinkle, not even a tiny little blemish on you. That's how clean and pure Jesus has has made you because he's taken away every last one of your sins. You are, no matter what you've done, holy and blameless. So beautiful. And how could a God who's full of that kind of grace and mercy and compassion and love, when when he gives you a gift, the God who gives you a gift like sex and says, here's the proper way to use it. Even though in our hearts, we might think there's other better ways or the world might tell you, here's what your sexuality should look like. How could a God who's full of that grace and mercy and compassion and forgiveness and love, how could he not have the best for you in mind? So trust him. He's the guardian of the good gift of sex. He is the guardian, the eternal guardian of your heart. Amen.